From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. And I think we're ready to actually start chatting. All right. Good? Yep, sounds good. Okay, great. Um, Well, congratulations again on having our winning question. (laughs) And I'm just curious to know where it came from, Um, like where your curiosity stems from. You bet. Uh, Well, it stems from the fact that I got Lyme disease. (laughs) I was diagnosed about maybe not quite a year ago, and that journey has been interesting, to say the least. This is Robert Small. He lives in Stannard, though his internet isn't great, so he drove into Morrisville to poach a good signal for our Zoom call. I'm in the parking lot of... uh... Tractor Supply Company in Mooresville. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, going the extra, you know, couple miles to get a connection. I appreciate it. No worries at um, all. Do you know how you contracted it? Like where you were and what happened? Um, I don't know how I got it. I never saw a tick. I never got the, you know, the bullseye. And I know not everybody gets that. And then kind of the interesting twist is that I had some uh, pain in my knee, which I'd had a Robert's story might sound familiar to you. He was having some weird joint pain, and it was difficult to diagnose. He saw different specialists over the course of several months and eventually ended up doing a blood test. And sure enough, Lyme popped up. And so that was kind of a bummer. A course of antibiotics helped a lot, and Robert saw a Lyme specialist. These days, he feels okay. But every once in a while, he'll get a really intense pain in the middle finger of his left hand. And I'll, you know, like pick up a bucket of water or something where you have to really grasp on, and that finger just locks in. So overall, I mean, compared to what I know a lot of people have to suffer through, I feel pretty fortunate that it's nothing more than that. Robert says this whole experience, getting Lyme, but not knowing for months that he had it, finally being diagnosed and going through treatment, and then still having some lingering symptoms? Really made me start to wonder, what the heck? Shouldn't there be a way to avoid this whole ordeal? It's like, geez, you know, why is it taking so long to, to get a vaccine and what's the status? A vaccine for Lyme disease. Can we have one of those? And to be honest, too, the other thing, I, I spend a lot of time outdoors and I know people that do. And then I hear sometime in the summer that folks say, well, no, I don't want to go in the woods because I don't want to get Lyme disease. And I'm like, wow. That's a bummer if people aren't able to enjoy what Vermont has to offer in terms of outdoor recreation. I just thought, wait a minute, we've got to do something. (laughs) Welcome to Brave Little State, VPR's people-powered journalism project. Here on the show, we answer questions about Vermont that have been asked and voted on by you our audience, because we want our journalism to be more inclusive, more transparent, and more fun. Today, my name is Robert Small. I live in Standard, Vermont. And my question is, when will there be a vaccine available for Lyme disease? In the last 30 years, the incidence of Lyme in this country has almost doubled. And because of climate change, ticks are expanding their range. It is one of our most commonly reported infectious diseases. It's a lot like COVID. So the infection by itself may not cause disease, as we have learned with COVID as well. You can be asymptomatic. Maybe you know someone who's had a brush with Lyme. Maybe that person was you. And it's scary. 
Sometimes the symptoms are really bad, and some people struggle for a really long time. There's so much we still don't know about Lyme. But in this episode, we're not talking about the disease itself. We're talking about how to prevent it. And there are some very smart people working on this. The patient in our case here is the tick. The tick that bites you needs to be cured of its Lyme disease. And we are preparing to have further dialogue with the FDA about the phase two and phase three pathway. So when will a vaccine be available? We're not just going to answer Robert's question. We're also going to explain why he even needs to ask it in the first place. So by 2002, the manufacturer said, you know what, we, we're done. They retracted the vaccine and we were without a Lyme disease vaccine since then. We have support from VPR sustaining members. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. It sounds strange to say in 2021, but the answer to Robert's question actually contains some potentially good news. So my question is, when will a <clears throat> vaccine be available for Lyme disease? That is such a good question. Uh, and the question that I asked when I started to do my research. And the short answer to that is probably two to three years, uh, if we're lucky. This is Sue Halpern. I am a staff writer at the New Yorker magazine and a scholar in residence at Middlebury College. And a quick disclosure is in order. Uh, Sue, could you please explain your relationship to our Brave Little State producer, Josh Crane? Josh Crane is my son-in-law. And is Josh a dream son-in-law, yes or yes? <laughs> Double yes times infinity. Josh is wonderful. Coincidentally, Josh had a nasty run-in with Lyme this past summer. It was terrible. I don't recommend it. <laughs> but that is not the reason we are doing this episode. We're doing it because Robert's question about a vaccine won in a public voting round, where we ask you, our listeners, to direct our reporting. And right when that round was running, Sue Halpern looked into this very question for The New Yorker. And she found out about not one, not two, but three pharmaceuticals currently in development that could help you avoid Lyme. We will get to those, I promise. And spoiler, one of them is similar to those monthly chewables that we give our pets. However, it will not taste like beef. Our drug will, will probably be tasteless and uh, be taken with a nice glass of water like a lot of other tablets are. But first, our question asker Robert had an additional request for this episode— He's a retired wildlife biologist, he used to work in Alaska, and he wants to make sure everyone who's listening gets some basic info about the ticks that cause Lyme, just in case you're not totally aware. Is it indeed more, you know, found in denser concentrations as you go south in Vermont? Is that range expanding just in general? How might climate change affect that? 
you know, to me, that would be kind of interesting if there's a tick specialist in Vermont. For that, I got in touch with Natalie Quitt. I'm the state public health veterinarian with the Vermont Department of Health. So Lyme disease is a bacterial disease uh, transmitted through a tick species called the black-legged tick, which is definitely here in Vermont. Note that Natalie said Lyme is transmitted through the black-legged tick. To infect you, the tick itself has to be infected with a bacteria called Borrelia burgdorferi. Borrelia burgdorferi here in Vermont. There are other strains elsewhere. You'll want to remember this term because it's a big part of the answer to Robert's question. Borrelia. Borrelia burgdorferi. Borrelia burgdorferi. If went untreated or not diagnosed in a, in a timely manner, it can proceed on to more severe manifestations of disease that can affect the neurologic system, the cardiac system, particularly the heart, and the joints as well. So how likely is it that you'll encounter a tick with Borrelia burgdorferi? Anywhere you live in Vermont, you have a risk for, you know, contacting an infected tick, although, you know, the risk is higher in certain areas of the state than others. Historically, the risk was higher in southern Vermont, but... Over time, we've kind of seen that creep up, you know, northward across the state. To track statewide case counts, Natalie says the health department does what's called passive surveillance, meaning that they rely on healthcare providers and labs to share their data. She says that means the state's numbers are likely an underestimate. Every year we get between 500 and around 1,000 cases reported to the health department, but the order of magnitude is likely 10 times higher than that. Nationwide, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimate that close to half a million people may be getting Lyme each year. It's a public health problem that we are going to see more of as the climate is changing. That's Renee Nahara, an epidemiologist and the editor of the History of Vaccines Project by the College of Physicians of Philadelphia. So you have seen uh, reports of Lyme disease originally from Lyme, Connecticut, right? Uh, that's that's how it got named. Um, and so it's been moving west and south. And warmer winters mean a longer season for tick-borne illnesses. During the winter, it used to be that as soon as we had our, our first uh, frost of the season, we would stop doing uh, tick-borne disease and mosquito-borne disease surveillance. And now, over the last few years, we have continued those surveillance programs into the winter because we just don't seem to get that hard freeze anymore. Lyme is definitely more prevalent than it used to be, but it's not exactly a new disease. So what's the holdup on a vaccine? And Sue, the piece that you very coincidentally, great timing for us, uh, published for The New Yorker in August, had a headline, why it took so long to develop a new vaccine for Lyme disease. Why did it take so long? It's a kind of horrifying story, um, actually. turns out that we can't talk about a future vaccine for Lyme until we talk about the one that used to be available. There was a Lyme disease vaccine about 20 years ago made by a, a company called SmithKline-Beecham. It was called Limerix. You get a series of three shots over the course of a year. And eventually, your body would be able to make antibodies that would kill Borrelia burgdorferi. Not when it was inside you but before the tick even transferred it to you. So the tick attaches to you and starts feeding off of you. 
Again, Renee Nahara from the History of Vaccines Project. And the, the antibodies attack the bacteria in the tick's gut and begin destroying it there before it even gets into you. Limerex was almost 80% effective at preventing Lyme. It first became available in 1998. When we announced Robert's winning question, some of you pointed this out. We've had a Lyme vaccine before. But I had literally never heard of Limerix. Maybe because I was in elementary school in the 90s, and it wasn't available for kids to take. But about 1.5 million doses were sold for adults. I got it pretty early after it came out. I, I got it at the doctor's office. Jack McCullough lives in Montpelier. He and his family used to vacation on Martha's Vineyard, which was, and still is, a Lyme hotspot. So when it was available, Jack got two doses of Limerix. For some reason, I never uh, never got the third shot, and I don't remember why that was. Jack says getting Limerix was no big deal. Didn't have any reaction at all that I can recall. But there was a group of people who did have a reaction, or rather, who believed they did. And they mounted an opposition campaign against Limerix that they'd eventually win. People who had what we're going to now call sort of like long-haul Lyme disease believed that a certain certain percentage of them, not every one of them, um, believed that the actual vaccine was causing a, a kind of Lyme arthritis. And uh, so they started very seriously trying to get this vaccine eliminated from the shelves. So some people who had already gotten Lyme disease then got the Limerick's vaccine and reported having side effects. A lot of people experience things like headaches, or they, they experience things like arthritis. And because of the way the Lyme disease vaccine was approved by the FDA, it allowed individuals to sue the pharmaceutical companies, which they did. There was a big class action suit. The FDA had approved Limerix as a permissive vaccine, meaning that it wasn't required or recommended. It was just available for people who wanted it, which opened the drug manufacturer up to this big class action lawsuit, which got a lot of press. There were some news articles that came out with titles like Concerns Grow Over Reactions to Lyme Shots, or Lyme Vaccine May Cause Problems, or Lyme Disease Vaccine Safety is Questioned. And this got amplified because this is around the same time that the fraudulent study on the MMR vaccine came out claiming that the MMR vaccine caused autism. And it was the, the beginning of the modern era of anti-vaccine activism. And so anti-vaccine activists latched onto this, this vaccine as well and just attacked it relentlessly, uh, attacked the, the manufacturer um, and so on and so forth. And sales dropped off. So by 2002, the manufacturer said, you know what, we, we're done. <laughs> According to Sue Halpern, it was the first time an FDA-approved vaccine was removed because of public opinion, even though the complaints that people were making about side effects were never medically proven. As a consequence of those lawsuits and that bad press, no other pharmaceutical com company wanted to touch uh, a Lyme vaccine for humans for a very long time. This is the reason why Robert Small is still waiting for a vaccine and asking us what the prospects are. 
Renee Nahra says the whole Limerix kerfuffle is a cautionary tale. It's a cautionary tale for, for vaccine manufacturers that optics are going to matter. Uh, it is a cautionary tale to, to regulators and policymakers that even though you might hear a very loud uh, segment of the population claim that something is harmful uh, or that something is beneficial when it's not, you still need to stick to the science. And the other cautionary tale for, for us as a society is that, yes, you know, things are not 100% safe. They're not 100% effective. But when they do the most good with the least harm, we should give it a, give it a shot um, because not doing it causes even more harm. Oh, well, sorry. thought we were talking about COVID vaccines for a second there. After the break... There are other ways to prevent infectious diseases uh, than by uh, vaccination. How scientists have learned the Limerick's lesson. That's right after this. It's Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. Today, we are answering Robert Small's question about when there's going to be a vaccine for Lyme disease. And now that we've explained why Robert even had to ask this question in the first place, we can look ahead to a brighter future. Sue Halpern is going to talk us through three different pharmaceuticals currently in the pipeline, and they all work in totally different ways. One is an annual prophylactic, one is a long-term vaccine, and one is basically a monthly pill. The first one we're going to talk about is in some ways a direct response to what happened with Limerix and the anti-vaccine sentiment, because it's not actually a vaccine. And the idea here is it would be a, an annual shot. Uh, the way they've engineered it, it would last for about nine months. And the thing about it that is kind of cool is that it works right away, whereas uh, with a vaccine, often, you know, you have to have a, a kind of a lead time for it to work. And that's why uh, Dr. Klempner and his colleagues think it might be a better route to go than a vaccine. Dr. Klempner is Mark Klempner. He currently works at Mass Biologics, which is a nonprofit vaccine manufacturer at the UMass Chan Medical School, where he's a professor of medicine. But back in the 90s, he was involved in the effort to develop the first Lyme vaccine. And when I talked to him, he was still you know, pretty upset and sad about the fact that they had worked so hard on this and then it just sort of went away. Um, so they had this new idea. It's called Lyme Prep. It is a single monoclonal antibody. Mark took some time to talk with question asker Robert and me. So, you know, it probably gets easier to explain this in the age of COVID because now everybody's heard of monoclonal antibodies. Uh, monoclonal antibodies have been around to prevent infectious diseases for a very long time. Rather than teaching your body how to make the antibodies to kill the Borrelia, like a vaccine would, Lyme Prep just gives you a big stash of them. And then, when the tick bites you, you're all set. The antibodies go into the tick's gut and neutralize the Borrelia before it makes it into your bloodstream. And we call it Lyme Prep because it is for pre-PR exposure e prophylaxis. In other words, before you go out there and get exposed, you should take this medicine. And it differs from 
the original question about a vaccine in several very important ways. One, Mark Klempner reiterates that it works right away, with just one shot. And two, it gives your body the exact antibody needed to kill the Borrelia, rather than prompting you to make multiple antibodies, some of which are not necessary. And, and that's why I started with drawing this important distinction between uh, Lyme prep, uh, a monoclonal antibody to prevent Lyme disease, uh, and a vaccine to prevent Lyme disease. Does that answer your question more thoroughly, uh, Robert? Yes, it does. And that makes good sense. And it sounds like it would give folks that are concerned about Lyme kind <clears throat> of the confidence before they go outside that <laughs> I've got what I need to uh, combat those little buggers. Robert asked if Lyme prep would help people who already have Lyme. The answer to that, and this goes for all the preventatives that we're going to talk about today, is unfortunately... No. Uh, uh, I would say no. These drugs are preventatives, not therapeutics. Once you've been infected by the bacteria, you know, all bets are off. Mass Biologics started phase one trials for Lyme prep this past February. If all goes well in future phases, Mark figures Lyme prep could be available by 2024. Since Mass Biologics is a nonprofit based at a university, the plan is to partner with a pharmaceutical company to run the larger trials and bring the drug to market. Which brings us to the second type of Lyme prevention that's in development. It is a vaccine, it's a little further along, and it's gotten picked up by a company you've definitely heard of. As it went along and started to prove itself to be very effective, a large pharmaceutical company that we're all familiar with, uh, Pfizer, bought into this vaccine development. This one is called VLA-15. Yeah, it's um, a vaccine that was developed by a French company called Valneva, uh, and it kind of works off of this concept of getting uh, to the tick before the tick can get to you. VLA-15 actually uses similar science to Limerix. And so Pfizer has partnered now with Valneva to produce this, and they have gone through a number of clinical trials. I think they have one more to go, and once that one is in the bag, then they will apply to the FDA for approval which it seems likely that they will get just because it's shown to be effective and safe. I don't know about you, but I feel much more knowledgeable of the clinical approval process than I used to. Thank you, COVID, I guess. Right now, Valneva and Pfizer are in their third phase two trial, working to confirm that the vaccine is safe for kids. It's notable that one of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies is investing in a vaccine whose predecessor got torpedoed just 20 years ago. But Sue Halpern says that's a good sign. I think that that is kind of a vote of confidence on the part of the pharmaceutical industry that there's something here that is going to fly. Maybe the public reception will be different this time. And the third and final Lyme preventative Sue told us about might have a head start on that front. They are addressing a question that anyone who has a dog and probably a cat has asked themselves over and over again. Which is, how come my dog slash cat can take a chewable to prevent Lyme disease and I can't? Sue says there's a small California company 
Tarsus Pharmaceuticals that primarily works on eye care. They were trying to develop a drug for these mites that some people get on their eyelids, and they were working with an ingredient found in a veterinary brand called Cardilio. And they found that this particular drug, they found that it killed the thing that they were trying to kill, which was mites on your eyelid, uh, of which apparently is a big problem. And in the course of doing that, they realized that it also had the potential to do what it does for your dog or your cat, which is kill the tick. A circuitous way to begin this kind of research, to be sure, but better late than never. Bobby Azamian is the CEO of Tarsus. A person would take it, let's say, every month or two over the Lyme season, and they could take it even potentially the day before they were worried about being exposed. This drug, called TP05, doesn't target the Borrelia inside the tick like the others do. It targets the tick. It paralyzes the tick uh, before the tick uh, can transmit Borrelia. They are just starting their first clinical trial. So they are kind of, you know, in the development process probably a couple years behind the others. And we are preparing to have further dialogue with the FDA about the phase two and phase three pathway. But potentially, if they succeed, it becomes a very simple way of protecting yourself against Lyme ticks. This drug, TP05, would definitely be different from Lyme prep or the Valneva Pfizer vaccine. Instead of getting jabbed, you'd pop a tablet every month or two. And while it's still too soon to say, it might help prevent tick-borne illnesses beyond Lyme, like anaplasmosis. Because, after all, ticks can carry multiple diseases. That is one of the potential advantages of a chemical in contrast to a biologic or a vaccine that's really only targeted to the Borrelia bacteria. Tarsus's marketing director joined this interview. Her name is Maza Martin. And she stressed the flexibility of this kind of Lyme prevention. You know, this is something that could be used for folks who live in endemic areas, and then as well as people who work outdoors, as well as those traveling, vacationing, going to um, an area where there, there may be a lot of ticks. I do think the convenience of this, you know, not have to go into a doctor's office, but get a prescription for this, pick it up at the pharmacy. potentially. If you can hear pill, some sales pitch here, well... Of course you can. This is a California startup. But even Mark Klempner of Mass Biologics was making the case. I think one reason is obviously competition. With Lyme on the rise, this is going to be a growing market. But there may also be some cautious customer assurance going on here. A lot of the people who are working on this stuff now were working on it 20 years ago and feel that they got burned in a very large way. But, you know, 20 years ago, Lyme disease was really not that prevalent, and therefore, people didn't necessarily really know a lot about it. And now, of course, we all do know about it, and I'd say that the chances are you know, more people will want it than people will protest against it. And again, because it's not something that anyone is going to mandate that you have to take, it's a personal decision. If you want to have it, you have it. If you don't want to have it, you don't have it. Sounds ideal. Even if people are hesitant, 
Rene Nahara figures their thinking could change. If at one point Lyme disease severely affects children, as it makes its way into playgrounds, as it makes its way into backyards and neighborhoods, if that is the case, and that is shown to be the case, then people might change their tune. and They might be more open to, to a, a, a new Lyme disease vaccine. But even if or when we have a pharmaceutical method for preventing Lyme, we won't be invincible. I think that truism is one of the many enduring lessons of this pandemic. It doesn't mean we want Vermonters to drop everything and stop, you know, protecting themselves against tick bites and go roll in the woods. We're going to give the last word to Natalie Quitt with the Vermont Department of Health. We want them to continue to keep up with your other preventive methods. Wear long sleeves and pants in light colors. Spray your clothes with permethrin, if that's your thing. And check your body and shower when you come in from the woods and fields. And a few years from now, again, you might have the option of getting some extra protection from Lyme disease. Thanks to Robert Small for the great question and for joining some of the interviews for this episode. If you have a question about Vermont you want us to answer, ask it at bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can sign up for the BLS newsletter and vote on the question you want us to tackle next. I reported and produced this episode with help from Josh Crane. Mix and sound design by Josh Crane and digital production by Myra Flynn. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions and Myra Flynn. Special thanks to Lexi Krupp and to those of you who wrote in on this topic, Annie, Nessa, Andy, and Karen. You can send us a note anytime at hello at bravelittlestate.org. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. If you like our show, you can make a gift at bravelittlestate.org slash donate, or just tell your friends to listen. I'm Angela Evansy. We'll be back soon with an episode about the Amish in Vermont. Until then, remember, be brave, ask questions. Thank you.